0: Well, hey, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I am so glad you're here for another episode of our podcast. If it's your first time here, welcome. As you know, if you've been here before, we have been doing a long-term series called Dear Lena, where we talk about life and culture. But in January this month, we've been doing something a little bit different. We've been uh, doing some highlighted uh, conversations with some pretty cool people, and I can't wait to bring in today's guest. You're going to love this. Again, our focus is going to be on faith and culture. Uh, we're here to bring you biblical truth for everyday life, and I think that there's no better way to do that than by looking at the lives of people who are living for God in the midst of tensions of culture. So today's guest is Sam Alberry, a name that has become synonymous with uh, singleness and um, the sex attraction movement, I think to put it very broadly. But if you've never heard uh, of Sam before, I think you're in for a great uh, an conversation. First of all, because he's got a great accent. So he uh, is from England and is a global speaker for uh, the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Of course, he's written many books. That's how I got to know Sam Alberry through his um, books on singleness, Seven Myths About Singleness, and uh, the other book that we've talked about here on this podcast is god anti-gay in fact we have an episode that uh, had that same title Um, those are two among many of his books this guy is smart he's from oxford you put anybody's name near oxford and in my mind they're uh, sort of a genius category but he can tell us a little bit more in a minute about all of the work that he's done to get to where he is now but i believe today you're in nashville sam which is is sort of on par with uh, where you know life in the United States, that, that's as American as it's going to get. And so I am excited to bring you in here to talk about sexuality and identity and all those things that you have made a focus in your ministry, uh, but really also to talk about Jesus Christ and how you came to know him. And so thanks for coming on today.
1: It's my pleasure. It's great to be with you.
0: Hey, I read in your bio, uh, which probably was my favorite part of your bio, and I failed to include it here in my intro, but that you are a connoisseur of Thai Green Curry. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I like to think I am. Uh, it's, it's my favorite thing to cook. So, um, Thai food in general, I just love cooking. So, um, yeah, always, always trying to make progress on that front.
0: Well, that's, that's pretty cool. I, uh, I'm known to, uh, to go to the lounge at the, um, uh, airport in, in London the Heathrow Airport and for months I would travel through there to go to Lebanon where we do a lot of our of, of our global work uh, in this ministry and they had the best curry you known to mankind which is pretty funny I mean that I would just like I w- was glad to have a delay in my flight anytime to in order to be able to have that curry so when it comes to curry I find myself not so much a connoisseur in cooking but certainly in tasting so it, it, you and I I mean already I can feel the vibe of friendship here so it's, it's pretty exciting to have you for that reason but but I, uh, there's a lot I want to talk to you about. I mean, we, again, I have uh, addressed a lot of issues here on this podcast in conversations where people have, have emailed me and asked questions, of course, specifically about how Christians relate to the LGBTQ movement. And I want to tell you, I remember the first time I heard your name and I, and I was sort of acquainted with your ministry. And I'm sure you know the video. It was a few years back before you sort of became really involved with the Gospel Coalition. I do a lot of work with them. But it was before that. I think you had given a speech in, in England. And you were wearing um, the clerical collar and you spoke about um, being same sex attracted in context of the crucifixion of Christ and living dead to self. And do you remember that talk? I think it was it was a brief talk that showed up all over Facebook. It went viral.
1: Yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember, I'll remember never forget that day. That was before the the General Synod, which is the the parliaments for the Church of England, uh, the denomination that I, I'm ordained into. So um we were having a debate as a synod about um, the whole issue of marriage and how it's defined and whether the church needs to revise its teaching. And um, it was a very heated debate and a very tense, a very tense afternoon. So um, I remember standing there, somewhat in fear and trembling, but um, and I had no idea the thing was being, you know, I had no idea that clip would end up on online. So. Um, I was surprised to then see it going around to going around the internet afterwards. Well,
0: thought, well it's an incredible talk. I mean, I'm I'm gonna link it up because really it's it's a very inspiring talk. It's one of those talks that you hear and you understand in those few minutes what it means to be a Christian. And it, it just inspired, I think, so many people. But maybe lead us up to that point. I mean, so you're uh, you know, sort of I don't wanna date you, but like at that point in your life you sort of seems like you knew where you are in Christ and sort of had wrestled through a lot of issues that people are just now, you know, talking about very publicly in the church. Maybe bring us back to how did you become a Christian? How did you come to know Jesus?
1: Yeah, I came to um, faith around the time I turned 18. I had uh, got to know some Christians um, over the the previous few months. They had invited me to their church's youth ministry. And it's a very, it was a very quick process. I heard the gospel, and the first time I heard it, I believed it, it rang true, and started going along regularly. And then a, a few months in, a few weeks in even, the, the pastor, the youth pastor, said to me, well, if you if you believe this, what is your response to Christ? And that was the first time I kind of consciously recognized I had to respond to Jesus. I couldn't just like him from afar. So, um, So yeah, that's when I became a Christian, around the time I turned 18.
0: What was your background before that? Or did you grow up in a believing home or more of an atheist home? or
1: uh, Neither really. So, we, we didn't really talk, talk about these things at all when I grew up. We didn't really go to church. Uh, we probably would have said we were Christians simply because we were, were English and moral and didn't belong to any other faith system. Um, but we, we weren't sort of practicing Christians, and nor were we practicing atheists. We were sort of, the whole thing was just. We never, we never talked about it or thought about it. So um, I kind of had gone back and forth as, a, as an adolescent, as a teenager, about whether or not I believed in God. Um, but it was only when I heard the gospel that I really came to Christ and came to faith in him. Before then, I had vague, warm thoughts towards a deity, but nothing more than that, really.
0: I'm curious about the people who invited you. I think there's so much anxiety in Christians sometimes about reaching out. You know, I mean it, it it seems like it's not something that we are that open to doing, inviting people to a Christian event or or talking about Jesus. I mean, had it did it take you by surprise the first time your friends brought it up, or were, would you guys get together and talk about Christ and religion? Or how did that segue into your even showing any interest yeah, as a young girl to,
1: to go to We've never really we'd never really talked about Jesus before. They'd often talked about church because they were very involved with the, the youth ministry there, so I knew it was a big part of their lives, and they were really good friends to me. So, it it felt entirely natural for them to say, "Hey, you know, we're going to our youth ministry on Friday. Do you want to come along?" Um, and they'd asked me once or twice before, and I'd, I'd not been able to. Um, so it didn't feel awkward. It didn't feel like I was their project. Um, Mm -hmm. they they had shown themselves to be really good friends and because they were friends I wanted to find out more about what they believed and so I thought well this is a this is a big part of their life I'll I'll come along and and see what it is that makes them tick so um I yeah it was it was it felt very natural at the time.
0: Now you went all in so you're I mean you became a minister so was that a progressive decision or when you were asked to respond, was there like a night and day change in Sam Albury? Like, Talk me through sort of those initial years of, of your walk with Christ.
1: Yeah, that. but the, the calling to ministry came very quickly. Um, about six months after I came to faith, the youth pastor asked me to, to do an interview in one of the church services and to share my story, as we did from time to time. And I had grown up with a huge fear of public speaking. So I was just terrified of doing this interview. You know, the whole week beforehand was counting down the days with, with dread and anxiety. Um, and once the interview started, actually, it was okay. Um, but afterwards, at the end of the service, he came up to me and it, he was an Anglican pastor. He, he had a clerical collar on and he, he pulled it out, pushed it under my chin and, and kind of looked at me and said, yep, you're going to be a preacher. And as soon as he said that, I knew it was true. Um, It never would have occurred to me beforehand to be a preacher, but as soon as he said, you're going to be a preacher, something in my heart went, yeah, I am. And the fear of public speaking remained. It took a long time to get used to standing up in front of other people and and having to speak. But I I knew from that moment onwards that that was what God wanted me to do, and not just to preach in in an abstract sense, but that God wanted me Specifically to build up and strengthen the church in any Mm. way that I could, and so the seeds of pastoral ministry were were sown at that point. Um, And again, it was very counterintuitive; it wasn't the thing I would have naturally have thought of, Um, but it's certainly been the desire of my heart ever since then.
0: Yeah, it is ironic because you you, now you speak for a living, so I love how God does that. Um, You know, tell us like when did you first? come to awareness of this tension in your own personal life as to you're, you know I guess I, I'm going to call it loosely your sexuality sort of the struggle in in that area was that something that growing up even as a youth that was an issue I mean when you came to Christ did it come up in your mind like how am I going what am I going to do with that maybe walk me through a little bit of of uh, that conversation leading up to sort of that lecture you gave that became viral that we started talking about a few minutes ago you know when did it become an issue for Sam Alberry to sort of come out and tell somebody look i struggle with same-sex attraction and here's what the bible says about it and here's what we're going to do with it
1: well i i was aware of it um long before i became a christian um just to, through my teenage years was became very apparent to me that i was attracted to guys and not attracted to girls and at that point wasn't yet a believer so didn't really have any framework within which to think about it um obviously then when I came to faith I didn't know what Christians believed on it I had no idea at all but I knew that I trusted Jesus and that I could trust whatever Jesus said Um, so I kind of came to Jesus pretty much with an open hand on this issue and thought well whatever Jesus has to say about sexuality is going to be okay because it's Jesus saying it Mm -hmm. so was when I then you know began to realize what he did have to say about sexual ethics. I didn't find it something I had to fight against, or I wasn't angry or disappointed. I just okay, that's. I knew whatever Jesus said would be would be good for me, and it's obviously this kind of good for me. Um, I wanted just wanted to obey him, um, and I'd only only really started telling other people about the issue probably seven years. Into my Christian life, so by this stage in my mid twenties, um, and it was simply because the it hadn't you know those those feelings hadn't gone away, and I began to realise that if, if if these attractions were here to stay, then I needed other people in my life who who knew about them, who could encourage me, pray for me, and walk through this with me, and so started to tentatively just open up to a few friends um, at that stage and had no desire at all to share any more widely than that and would have been horrified at the thought of uh, what you and I are talking about now. So at that that stage, I thought, okay, the people kind of closest to me in my life know about this. That's great. I'm done now. I don't need to talk about this anymore. That's it. So I had Mm. no desire to sort of do ministry on this or anything like this. It's never been something I... I had a sort of an ambition to do. But around, probably around 2012, um, I just felt the Lord put a burden on my heart. We were seeing some of the very quick cultural shifts going on around same-sex marriage, uh, the beginnings of the, the kind of political changes that were about to, to take place. And I was seeing so many pastors shifting in their mm. in their theology and, and to a pro same-sex marriage kind of position. And I just, I had this burden that some of us need to speak to this issue from within it. Um, And I just wanted to say to people, listen, God's word to people in my situation is a good word. And therefore, Christians don't need to be ashamed of it. They don't need to be embarrassed of it. They don't need to be kind of shying away from it. And so that, that then led into me being a bit more public and I, I naively thought at the time i can i can share a little bit about this and then go back to you know <laughs> carry on with with Norman. Making curry <laughs> yes um and you know I was, I was working at a church all i wanted to do was was to be a pastor um hadn't appreciated quite how significant that voice would become in these discussions and quite how Needed in the in the in the kind of wider church scene that was so found um, very quickly that there was um, there was just a need for for me to be to be speaking on it um, more more widely and then that led to, to me writing on it as well.
0: Has a lot of the I would imagine you've gotten some fair attention uh, as to the position you've held. Um, oh, has...
1: not at all. No, everyone's very yeah. relaxed about this issue. In the right. world, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. Easy, easy topic. I don't know why you choose to, to make a life of this. But no, I mean, have you found more tension from um, people who are Christians and are wrestling with it or more from the LGBTQ non-believing community that struggles with accepting God and his ways? Where have you found most of the pushback that you've faced?
1: Yeah, there's certainly been pushback from both directions. Um, I've probably received more from the wider Christian world than the non-Christian world. And I think that's largely because I've 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 not been seeking to bother the non-Christian world a huge amount on it. I've always felt my calling is to minister to the church, and on this issue, no no less than any other, my my goal is not to go out there and debate every gay rights activist, but to strengthen the church and to help mm-hmm. pastors to help churches. So therefore, I you know it's it's understandable I'd I'd get more engagement from. From the wider Christian scene, but I, I probably get more tension from people who think that a Christian shouldn't experience these temptations at all, or that if you do, right. you certainly shouldn't talk about the fact that you do, and who who somehow feel that I'm I'm actually secretly trying to be a a gateway to the church embracing homosexuality. There's there's a, a whole segment of the Christian world, particularly over here in America, that, that seems to think I, my ultimate agenda is to persuade the church to accept gay marriage. I don't know how or why they think that's the case, but um,
0: anyway. Well, that's interesting. Well, that is an interesting, uh, uh, it's worth spending a couple of minutes maybe talking about this. There's a sense, I think, you're right, in the hyper-conservative, maybe if you want to labeled that side of the church that sort of thinks well if you get saved god changes you completely and if you know homosexuality is a sin you ought to change you of that but that's it's not the experience that so many people have have had as um i can understand it as a single christian i still struggle with lust i mean there's a lot of layers to sin that continue after christ but somehow we've made it a, a decision in our brain that as christians we expect that in that particular area it it's got to be like gone completely and what I mean let's talk a little bit about that I mean you that has not been your experience you continue to struggle with you know so I don't know if I use the word struggle but the reality of you know you know what your attractions are and how you know practically speaking how have you were you ever resentful of the fact that God didn't just change you or have you really been sort of like at some point I would imagine you realize you're not gonna get married with this potentially I mean I know there's been a lot of people who have had a different experience who came you know who still confess to be same-sex attracted but have married heterosexually but like that's a lot to come to terms with in your 20s so a how have you reconciled sort of peace with God in that and b you know what do you tell those Christians about the persistence of the struggle like can you talk into those two things a little bit
1: yeah, I mean, you've got to trust the sovereignty of God and and the goodness of God. So, I know in my twenties, in my, my heart's desire was to was to marry a girl and, and become a Christ, you know Christian husband and father and, and do that whole thing. And so, I'd, I'd assumed at that point that God would take away any same sex desires and, and replace them. Um, and was there was a season when I was frustrated with God that that hadn't happened. Um, but after a while, I just thought, okay, well. God's God's a different plan for me. That's okay. Um, and if, if I'm going to remain single, then that's that's going to be how I experience God's goodness. Um, mm. And I remember thinking, you know, the, the Bible nowhere promises that we will be free from temptation. It does promise that God will give us the strength to stand up under temptation. And so for me, the focus has been less on, I want these feelings to change and more on, I want to be faithful in how I respond to them for as long as a, for as long as I feel them in any degree, mm. um, and I, I think that's the biblical pattern for all of us. And overcoming sin isn't necessarily that we just don't ever feel tempted by it anymore, but that we we are so used to flexing that the muscles of obedience that actually we we, we train ourselves to to respond to temptation with with obedience to God. So I, w- I would say that that's the change I have experienced. Um, not that the temptation isn't there, but that I, I desire Christ more than I used to, and mm. sin is less attractive to me than it used to be. Um, and you know, if God changes my desires, that's 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 all well and good. That would be nice too. But that right. to me isn't what is most fundamentally important. And. You know, I remember a Christian, I'm sure, very, very well-meaning, coming up to me at an event and saying um, that they could change my desires. Um, they well, said that they, he said he was a therapist and he had a he had a, a kind of pretty much a foolproof way that would change my desires. And would would I like that to happen? Um, so he was offering his his services, offering his his wow. particular therapy to me. And I thought about it for a moment, and I said to him, listen, if you do that, and I, I then only ever have heterosexual desires, are you promising me I will never experience heterosexual temptation? Mm. And he said, no, I'm not promising you that. And I said, well, I I don't see that as a net gain. Um, all you're doing is switching one form of temptation for another. Um, I don't mm. see that as being a particular advance in holiness, and moreover, I'm, this is a theatre of warfare where I now have experience. What you might be doing is plunging me into a different theatre of, of warfare where I have no experience. That's so good. I don't, I don't see why that's an attractive proposition. And I then said to him, by the way, do you think your therapy can change anyone's kinds of temptation? As a, not just in the mm-hmm. sexual arena, but you know, any temptation someone experiences that that feels besetting particular sin, whatever it is, are you able to change every temptation? And he said, no. And I said, can you account for me biblically why my temptation is in a different category to other forms of temptation? Because I don't see anywhere in the Bible where, you know, same-sex lust, same-sex romantic desire, where those temptations are put in a different category to other temptations it seems to me in the bible we have temptation and we're told where it comes from in james one, it comes from our own desires we've got to own that we're also told um how to respond to it so it, I, I just it didn't it's it just i smelled the rats with the whole thing it was fishing yeah. so um so that that's kind of how i, re- I have a so to you that. never
0: took him up on the offer huh
1: i don't <laughs> just... know he didn't, he didn't give me a good <laughs> reason why i should um <laughs> So yeah, some, someone who, who if, if someone in the medical field said, well, I can stop your pain there, but only by transferring it somewhere else.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They're not healing you. Right. They're just fixing one thing by breaking something else. Right. And, you know, they're, they're a quack. Um, so anyway, that's, that's where I am on that.
0: Well, you know, I think a lot has changed, obviously, in the last eight years. I mean, we're 2021, going into 2021. I mean, um, it's crazy, like the pace of of this conversation about um, how to love the LGBTQ movement in the context of the church. I mean, I just have seen this, like, a huge spectrum of change. So I think one of the things that I've noticed, which is, you know, obviously anyone who watches any conversations about this if pays attention, says this, this concept that the LGBTQ movement has that really takes the task anyone to say, if you truly love me, then part of that love is accepting me as I am. And I think Christians, I would imagine, you know, we're in a tough position because we're, you know, it's not that you necessarily want a person to change to love them, but there's no really space to, you know, you almost, I don't know what to do with that. And so there's almost like a denial of like, they they reject your love and accuse you of not loving if you don't agree with their lifestyle. What do you do with that? I mean, how is the church supposed to love the people who identify as LGBTQ plus?
1: Yeah, it's it's really hard because what they're basically saying is you have to agree with me on everything. Otherwise, you hate me. And it depends who it is and the kind of discussion you're having with them. But I I typically say to to such people, actually, just friendship doesn't work like that. Um, If if friendship is conditioned on, I predetermine what you have to agree with and disagree with, then you may as well be friends with Siri, because you're just not going to, you know, it's just not the way people are designed to work. For a real relationship, you need a real human being with real differences and different opinions and different tastes. So. I tend to say to people, listen, I would love to be your friend, and I'd love for you to be my friend. But if, if you are insisting everyone has to affirm what you think to be your friend, I'm not sure how many true friends you're going to have. Mm. Um, so I want to give someone like that a bit more benefit of the doubt and say to him, listen, I, I can't guarantee I'm going to agree with you on everything you'd want me to agree on, but I I will promise you I will never seek to harm you. I will never seek to humiliate you, or embarrass you, or hurt you. Um, and for some people, it may take a long time to build up that kind of trust. But more often than not, it's it's a it's a young person who's overdosed on identity politics who's saying, "You have to affirm me to accept me." And in that instance, I, I need to find a nice way of saying to them, "You just need to grow up." Um, <laughs> that's
0: that's true. And, I mean, I I mean, I think. You know, that's a that's always hard because I think when a person comes to you with that sort of stance, it almost sometimes feels like it doesn't matter what you say. And so you're right. I found that challenging when you're already coming at it from you already know. Like, I think there is a recognition among especially millennials and under. But I do think there's a recognition that in some ways the church has made mistakes uh, as it pertains, you know, like even like. conversation. Right, and so even the guy who comes up to you and wants to change you, like what, you know, like you're right. They never think about other sins that they could come and magically, you know, remove from your, you know, rolodex of temptations. And so I I do see that, and I I still think it's it's probably extremely difficult for a young man or woman to be in a church, you know, evangel, you know, what I don't even want to label a church context, a biblical church context, and admit this sin. It still seems to carry so much stigma and shame. Although I think things are, would you say things are getting a little bit better for um, people who might struggle with same-sex attraction in terms of finding accountability and relationships and sort of pathways to help? I think so.
1: Yeah. I've, I've certainly encountered many churches where I think people feel able to to share that this is something they're wrestling with and, and find genuine help and encouragement and support and at times correction and, and everything else. So I think we're I mean, obviously there's still lots of churches where those conversations are not yet happening, but my sense is there are many churches where the conversations are happening and might not have been ten or fifteen years ago. I think I think a lot has changed. Um so we've still really? a long way to go, I'm sure, but I, I think right. there are a lot of places that are doing it well.
0: And then there was like of course the the you know, sort of the organizations that were parachurch organizations that had made a lot of claims that sort of ended up being scandalously, you know change their opinions and all this but there are still I mean I think you ran a website for a while if I recall are you still doing that where like is what are some of the resources maybe you can give even somebody who's listening now who may be struggling you know with their sexuality and sort of finding a, a biblical community Are is that still something you're doing or have you I know
1: yeah, you have, you... Well, yeah very much so um, in terms of biblical community I, I, I hope they would look first and foremost to the local church. Um, The kind of resources I've been involved with, there's a a website called livingout.org. I'm no longer on the leadership of that, but very supportive of it. And a lot of articles there and stories and resources and videos and things. Um, Harvest USA um, in the States, I think, has a very, very fine ministry, pastorally supporting not just people who are struggling with these issues, but, but sometimes the you know, family members of, of people who've maybe walked out on the faith because of this. Um, so there's, there's some expertise out there, both pastorally, but also a lot of good resources just to help us think more biblically, more carefully, uh, more pastorally around these things as well.
0: What do you think of, we had this conversation at Thanksgiving about Hallmark. You know, my mom is an avid Hallmark movie, you know, watcher. She waits for Christmas. She's that woman. She loves the Lord. She's and of course this year she's not that privy to all that's happening in culture. She's a little older now, and uh, uh, she's really listening to this podcast now, shaking her head. But you know, inevitably, she's watching the Hallmark, and she sees a movie where the you know now they've got the uh, focus on the gay couple in one of them, and and she's you know she calls me up and she says, I, I I don't know what's going," you know, sort of she's just took her by surprise, and and so we're talking about that at, at Thanksgiving, and and sort of this tension of do you keep watching Hallmarks? So sort of the same conversation that happened, you know, to a certain degree, like the baker, you know, making a cake for a wedding. Perhaps that's not a very identical situation, but culturally, I think Christians are now sort of put in a place where we're having to make decisions about in real life things like do you watch Hallmark because they have now a movie that shows a homosexual couple or not where do you draw lines do you watch Schitt's Creek this immensely popular you know sitcom uh, in which again very much focus on on this couple you can, of course we can look at viewing habits and whatnot but where have you like what's your take on this I mean you might be a person who doesn't have a tv and that might not be <laughs> an issue for you but I find that even practical things like that have become a need to discuss and think through and maybe even voice opinions on and thoughts on so that as a point of discipleship, those who are listening in who maybe, you know, wanting to follow the Lord in holiness and grow in, in their love for the Lord might need a little guidance in that. What would you tell that young person who might be thinking through these things?
1: It's a great question to ask, and um, we've got to be able to have that conversation as well. And my my suspicion is the conversation either doesn't happen or it happens in a way Where someone is just very, very prescriptive and tries to lay down the law for everybody else. So you know we 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 mustn't watch things that are going to make us stumble into sin ourselves. So I started watching Game of Thrones because I love fantasy, but was just some of it was just too gross, and I just thought, okay, this is you know the bits in between the sex and the violence I really like, but they you know that's about ten minutes out of every hour. So I stopped watching it. Um, there'd be other shows I, 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 mean, I.
0: This this podcast, I mean, I thought it was going to be already a little bit on the edge, but now you admit that you've watched Game of Thrones. I mean, this is a whole well, new I've, level here.
1: I've also admitted that I've stopped it, so that's okay. Um, I think we,
0: we've got to be
1: we've got to be a bit consistent on this as well. So you know, I, I, I've never seen Hallmark in my life. I, I, I'm probably going to be very happy to never see it in my whole life. Yep. It's not my thing. But if if what I what I feel uncomfortable with is where Christians who were quite happy watching heterosexual sin yes. all of a sudden start throwing their arms up in the air at the moment there's homosexual sin and saying that's when we need to boycott and everything else because it's it's basically saying heterosexual sin's fine really it's a bit unfortunate but it's generally tolerable and okay. And to be honest, heterosexual sin is going to send far more people to hell than homosexual sin. Right. And so uh, let, let's let ask the Lord to give us the right kinds of sensitivity to sins. And all of us have got sins that we, we naturally don't struggle with and just find gross, and other sins that we do struggle with where we perhaps are a bit more tolerant. So... You know, we just may need to think, well, am I okay watching a heterosexual couple on a TV show having sex before marriage? Because in my mind, I don't have as visceral a reaction to that, even though that is every bit as offensive to to a God in heaven as Mm. a gay couple having a romantic moment. So... It's just worth, it's not just what do I like and what do I not like. We actually need to think about what we like and what we don't like and where our likes are not in tune with the Bible. Now, if you if you decide you're not going to watch any show where there's ever, ever any sin, you can't watch any show because virtually any plot of any TV show involves sin somewhere. Um, what I don't like is when we arbitrarily pick one sin and say, well, that sin is the really bad one. And get very prudish about that whilst being very lax on everything else.
0: I agree. What do you how do you see yourself when you think about identity? Like you're a Christian? Do you see yourself more as single or and like when you think about your identity? How does Sam Alberry see Sam Alberry? You know, I hate labels, but at the end of the day <laughs> we see ourselves in a in a certain lens. Do you ever think of yourself as I'm a same sex attracted Christian or do you just think you're just a Christian? Period.
1: Yeah, I I hope I don't. Um, I try not to, and I don't want to. Um, I'm sure I do at times because I end up talking about it a lot. Um, But no, I don't. I don't see myself as a same-sex attracted Christian. I see myself as a Christian. Uh, One of my temptations happens to be same-sex attraction. Um, But I know that no temptation is defining of who I am. And, And even if it was... I've got so many, so do I go with I'm um, a same-sex attracted Christian or do I go with a I can be an irritable Christian or a lazy Christian? And we're not defined by our sins. We're not defined by our temptations. We're defined now by the, the righteousness of Jesus. And so I don't even see myself as a single Christian. I'm a Christian who, who happens to be single, but that's – I'm in Christ, and I'm actually – I'm in Christ with a whole bunch of other people so I don't see my life in terms of my my marital status. I see it in terms of my union with Christ, with all that that entails and, and includes and involves as well. So I don't see myself as individually as I used to, because mm. I'm, I'm in Christ now with, with everybody else who's in Christ. And I'm a member of Emmanuel Church in Nashville, and so that's, that's a, that's a body of believers to whom I belong. Mm. Um, that says more about my identity than my temptations do. So, and I think we've got to be very careful on this. And I know this has been a a conversation in, in the Christian world for for a while now. But I'm I'm very concerned with Christians who use any aspect of their sexuality as being something that's defining of them, because. I
0: agree. What do you see as we wrap up here, even this conversation, what do you see as the challenges the church, big church is going to face the next five years as it pertains to this walk with, you know, the, you know, just the LGBTQ movement? and, And we haven't even on this podcast started talking about even Christians and understanding the transgender movement, but a lot of sort of that. Um, cultural tension of, of holding to biblical beliefs in a culture that now sees sort of this human right to live a certain way and be a certain way. What do you think are the biggest issues that we are going to need to be aware of as Christians in this world as it pertains to this?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of, there's just some amazing opportunities that God is giving us. And some of them are going to be very challenging and, and very painful. So I, I wouldn't want to be a Christian at any other time than right now. When it comes to the LGBTQ challenges um over the next few years there'll be a few more letters added to that i'm sure over the next few years as well um i think one of the challenges is surely that we have got to be able to help people taste the goodness of god in all that he says in what he says about you know his design for human sexuality and what he says about how he's made us as male and female and what that means and what that doesn't mean and how that relates to issues of gender identity, it's not enough simply to be refuting culture. We need to be commending something to culture and pointing them in any discussion, in any area of life, to the goodness of God. People are not going to care whether what we say is true if they don't think it's good. Mm. So even as our culture becomes perhaps more aggressive and censorious and outragey and cancelly. Um, and more anxious, we need to be prepared to not fight fire with fire, um, but to ha- to be places where there is a depth of community and a depth of honesty you don't see in a council culture world around us, and places where we we respond in in grace and truth to the challenges of our culture, where we don't get snarky and irritable and All those kinds of things. In in Mark chapter 6, just before he fed the 5,000, we're told that Jesus saw this multitude of people. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and clueless. And we're told that he had compassion on them. The lostness of the lost didn't irritate Jesus. It gave him compassion. Mm. And we need to be the same. As we see God's world with God's eyes, and we see our culture seemingly moving further and further into just kind of craziness and even into kind of anti-Christianity in some in some areas. We mustn't respond by kind of just being angry that culture is getting less Christian. Uh, we need to respond with, with the with the compassion of Christ. And we're told Jesus had compassion and then he began to teach them. <laughs> so Hmm. if we have compassion on people if we genuinely see the lostness of the lost in our compassion we won't affirm them in their lostness instead we will bring them to the words of jesus um and that is that is what we must do we mustn't retreat from the world we mustn't scold everybody who's not a christian right we need to, to gently lovingly bring them to the words of jesus
0: Mm, that's that's the heartbeat that i have I, I just love this is a great place to end um, maybe um uh, tell us how people can connect with you sam
1: um well pardon me said to say i'm an introvert so please don't um
0: <laughs> uh, you <laughs> um, are surprisingly um, on twitter though i, I see you tweet I am on twitter
1: yeah so if they want to come find me i'm, I'm normally um being Twitter is
0: sort of a weird beast. I feel like a lot of people on Twitter talk a lot and they all claim to be introverts. I'm like, dude, I, I can't <laughs> even... <laughs>
1: um, a, lot of, a lot of my writings are on the Gospel Coalition, um, so they're in, well, We've been there way, in,
0: We've given away your book, Is God Anti-Gay? And in fact, why don't I do that today? I'm going to go ahead and, and offer a couple of books here. I want to give out uh, Seven Myths About Singleness. I know there's a lot of singles listening. So let's give out a couple of those copies and then a couple of uh, the Is God Anti-Gay. So if you're listening and anything that we've talked about today connects with you, maybe you're listening and you've grown up in the church and have never you know, come to terms with your uh, struggle with same-sex attraction and don't know what to do with all that, um, I would love to have you um, read some of the stuff that Sam has written. I know that, that there's tons of uh, strong biblical... Um, Uh, I hate to use the word advice but uh, just pointing towards God I think his writings point towards God so Sam, I want to thank you for being uh, here with us today, I know you are very busy and I appreciate the time that you've taken to be with me It's my pleasure,
1: thanks for having me
0: Hey guys, if you're still listening, remember that we've got plenty of resources for you at livingwithpower.org. Thursday nights, I teach live at our Facebook community page. Just check to livingwithpower.org and go to the blue box at the top of the page and just click on it and join us on Thursday night. And remember, we have not these books, so email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. Hey, I'll see you again next week. Have an awesome, awesome rest of the day.